So I just want to welcome Wes Roth back here. You know, this is the first time I actually have heard him speak, because every time he's come, I've been gone. So I'm excited for today, even though I've had a lot of emails with him. So welcome back, and we're excited to see what God has for us today. Well, good morning. Happy Sunday. It's good to be here, uh, back here. Uh, thanks for the inter- introduction, Nick. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful church. So I was, um, I'm blessed to be back here. Um, I was surprised. Uh, it was about a month ago. I looked on my phone. Uh, it was about a month ago. Uh, I was sitting at work and typing away in emails at my day job, and I got a call from Mark. I, it was saved in my phone, and Mark Crossman, and he called and he shared the news with me. He's like, hey, what are you doing uh, February 9th? I'm like, I don't know. What am I doing? And, and he said, would you want to um, come down and, and teach and preach again? And then he shared the news that, that him and DJ were, were going were gonna to move on, move to Colorado at the end of January. And he was wondering if, if I could come and preach. And I was stunned. My, my jaw hit the floor. Um, I, I didn't see that coming, like many of you. And... Pastor Mark had, had beca- has become a good friend of mine. Um, he was a wonderful mentor to me. Last year, he taught that class up in Rapid City, uh, the Multiply class. Uh, so it was wonderful to spend those Monday afternoons with him, all afternoon. And I learned a lot. And so, of course, I said yes. I'd, I'd absolutely come on February 9th. I know pastors rightly guard uh, the pulpit. And our church, I'm, uh, for, for those that you don't know, uh, I, uh, we live in, near Piedmont. And we go to Hillsview E-Free, and our church also is in a time of transition. It was last, late last year that uh, Mitch Hildebrandt, you, some of you may know him, uh, he's on the radio once in a while, KSLT, um, he's been called to one, the One Child Ministry in Colorado Springs, and so uh, our church is going through transition as well. It's, it's hard, he's going to be leaving at the end of this month, and so transition within the church is difficult. And, you know, when we say goodbye to our pastors who have been our, our shepherds, and who are servants of Christ, and who have tended to our souls. That's kind of what it comes down to. So I, I read and reread their farewell, farewell letter online, and I'll continue to pray, you know, as with all you, uh, for Mark and DJ as they transition to their new chapter in life. Um, I'm praying with you as you seek out and eventually call your new pastor here at, at Southern Hills E-Free. So just a lot of transition right now between your church, uh, my home church. And so before we get started today, I'd like to go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll dive in. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for this day. It's a beautiful day uh, to come together as a church. Um, I thank you for each person here. I pray over them. Um, I thank you for the wonderful um, teaching that Mark has been, uh, he's taught and preached year after year. And um, I thank you for him and his ministry here. And I pray again over the, the transition as uh, this, this church uh, prays and considers and moves forward with this uh, eventual search uh, for a new pastor. Uh, but Heavenly Father, we just pray right now. Uh, we pray right now that we'd put anything that happened this week, uh, any stresses this week, any uncertainty, possibly any chaos that we've, we've had to deal with uh, this week. And we just pray uh, you'd help us set that aside. And we thank you uh, for your word, uh, for your son, Jesus Christ. And uh, we thank you that we're able to worship in song, 
uh, give, give our gifts. And uh, we just pray right now that we can set all, set the week aside and hear um, and learn from your word. And I thank you, Lord, for this day. Uh, I pray you'd get me out of the way right now, uh, that uh, as you increase, I must decrease, and that you would speak through me, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. So this is my second, uh, I'm sorry, my third time back. Some of you may recognize me. Uh, back in June of last year, uh, we learned uh, the first time I was here, blessed to be here, we learned from the Apostle Paul three core uh, characteristics that we as Christians sometimes forget to follow in our daily walk with Christ. Um, we looked at, the sermon was focused on 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, and that is rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And so the title of the sermon that, that Sunday was The Standing Orders of the Gospel. So if we follow, uh, if we follow God, uh, I'm sorry, Paul's teaching, we will be comforted by the peace of God in our hearts and in our minds as we are in Christ Jesus. And then I was here last fall, on, it was October 27th, and we looked at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 25 through 35. Look, using this passage in Luke and the story of Simeon, we focused on four benefits about waiting on the Lord. It was Simeon who had waited his entire life to see his salvation, and he was able to hold the Messiah, Christ Jesus, in his arms. When life seems out of control, or when we're desperately seeking answers in life, if we wait on the Lord, he will reveal himself to us in his perfect timing, not ours. And if we believe this, it'll lead, uh, I think, to a, a greater anticipation, a greater patience, uh, a greater trust, and a greater hope in our lives. So like I said today, we're going to uh, look at, and I'm going to preach out of the Old Testament book of Joshua. If you want to turn there with, in your Bibles, if you haven't already, we're going to start right at the beginning, as you saw on the screen, uh, in that book, chapter 1, verse 1. To kind of set the stage for today, this was a critical moment in, in, in time for the Israelites. Moses, called Israel's greatest prophet, called God's servant, and the only person who ever spoke with God, passes away on Mount Nebo in the land of Moab. We see this at the end of the previous book in Deuteronomy chapter 34. Yet even as a great a man as Moses was, because he disobeyed God previously, he was not allowed by God to enter the promised land. He would, he would see the promised land, but he would not enter the promised land. That task would be entrusted to the next leader of God's chosen people, and that man was Joshua. Joshua's new job was simple, right? To lead more than two million Israelites into a strange new land and conquer it. Joshua was Moses' personal aide for 40 years and was one of the two living eyewitnesses of the Egyptian plagues and the exodus from Egypt, with Caleb being the other. And Joshua was commissioned by God through Moses. And we learned that back in Numbers chapter 27. So the Israelites were facing a huge change in leadership. But like my pastor says, Pastor Ron, he says regularly when he preaches on Sunday, but God. But God. He is and always and has been and always will be in control. We see that in Psalm 135, verse 6. It says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deeps, or all depths. Some translations have depths. So the sermon title today, as you saw when, when you uh, hear this morning, is Trusting in God's Faithfulness. Just like the Israelites, 
and especially Joshua, they, uh, they had to trust in God's faithfulness. Just like your church in Hillsview, Efree, also need to trust in his faithfulness as you and us, our, my home church, seeks and eventually calls their next pastors. Joshua himself is the author of the book, obviously. And the, book's, and the book begins in verse 1. It says, I have it here. Now came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all, these, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. So it came, so this is occurring about, uh, I think, from what I understand, for, about 1405 uh, B.C. It's an obituary of sorts given to Moses by Joshua. It simply proclaims and memorializes him as a servant of the Lord. What a beautiful summation of his life. Israel's greatest prophet and provider of the first five books of our Bible today. The word says that Moses, was the, Moses the servant is now dead, but God the master is not. He lives forever. It's critical to understand that Moses represented the law, and the law cannot save us. As J. Vernon McGee says in his commentary, the law is a revealer, and it's not a redeemer. It shows us that we are sinners. The law, the law was never a savior. The law reveals that we have fallen short of the glory of God. It's like a mirror. Moses, my servant, is dead. Only Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Joshua, can lead us into the place of blessing he has for us. Joshua comes from the Hebrew name meaning Yahweh is salvation, or Jehovah saves. The same word in the New Testament is Jesus. McGee says that Joshua was a man of courage. He depended on God. He had faith. He, had, he was a leader. Uh, there was an, he, he served with enthusiasm and fidelity. He is a type of Christ in his name and also in his work. According to Bible scholars, Joshua was in his 80s or even 90 when he received his commission as Moses' successor. So in verse 1, it says, the Lord spoke to Joshua. Bible scholars believe it was either in a dream or a vision. God once again refers to Moses as a servant and commissions Joshua as the next leader of his people. And he gives him a task to do. Arise, go, go across the Jordan River and into the land of Canaan, to the land promised to them by God. And we see that in Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 and 15. The word says, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land you will see, I will give it to you and your descendants forever. The land is there right in front of them. Joshua and the Israelites just need to be courageous and take possession of the land. God was calling on, God was calling on Joshua to be obedient. As a modern-day example, I was, I was preparing my sermon this week, and I was like, I mean, there's a multitude of, of men and women that were obedient to God, but I, 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 rem I recalled a, you know, a biography I, I read a few years ago written by a William Martin. It described a meeting of men who were desperately attempting to break free from the grips of the 1930s Great Depression. With its merciless mortgage foreclosures, its ruinous bank failures, 
and the devastating disappearance of businesses and jobs. So 30 or so men of the Charlotte Christians Men Club met in a grove of trees in a pasture for a day-long session of prayer and fasting. They asked God for some insights, some direction, some inspiration, just something that would enable them to endure the doldrums in which they were adrift. At one point, the group's leader, Vernon Patterson, launched what must have been an improbable entreaty when he earnestly prayed that out of Charlotte, the Lord would raise up someone to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. Surely none of this modest group of men gathered around uh, among those pine trees considered for a moment that just literally a few hundred yards away, there was a young boy pitching hay, simply doing his chores, going about his business. That boy was, uh, people uh, called him Billy Frank, or some of you may know him as Billy Graham. Like Joshua, Billy Graham was also obedient to God in his life and in God's calling on his life. Throughout his life, Billy Graham preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to some 215 million people who attended one of his more than 400 crusades, simulcasts, rallies, in more than 185 countries and territories. He reached millions more through TV, video, film, the internet, and 34 books. Billy Frank, as he, as he was known back then, was obedient to God. So if we come back to Joshua verse 3, we read, the word says, Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as, just as I spoke to Moses. So God speaks to Joshua, promising, promising him that... Uh, that the land they are about to enter, every square inch is theirs. This verse confirms God's provision to them and promise to them. Just like God was faithful to Moses, he was being faithful to Joshua. And I think what, what, re, what reassurance and comfort to Joshua and the Israelites at a moment of, of, of mourning and then uncertainty. God's promise to Joshua continues in verse 4. The word says, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea towards the setting of the sun will be your territory. So here, God gives the geography of the land, kind of the layout of the promised land in Canaan. Uh, in the west, the Mediterranean Sea coast. The east, the Euphrates River. North, the land of Lebanon. And south, the wilderness to the Nile River of Egypt. J. Vernon McGee adds that Israel, or God gave Israel over 300 square miles of land, that, and at the most they ever claimed was about 30,000 square miles, so about one-tenth of what God has, had given them they took possession of. God then continues in, uh, in verses 5 and 6. The word says, No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this, give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. So here we see the awesome promise of God's divine power. God promises Joshua that if, if, he, if he remains faithful, that no man will be able to stand or defeat him the rest of his life. God will be faithful to Joshua. God will give strength to Joshua. God will not abandon Joshua ever. Joshua was to achieve three things. To lead the Israelites into the land, 
to defeat the enemy and claim the inheritance. Joshua just had to trust God. God's promise flows into verse 6. I love, uh, I love J. Vernon McGee um, and the way he teaches the scriptures. He simply says, friends, he always says friends when you read, when you read his teaching or his, his uh, commentary. He's, he always says, friends, like Joshua, we as believers need to be strong and courageous. We need to possess our spiritual possessions by faith. Remember, we are in enemy territory. This promise to be, be strong and courageous is the same one that God gave to Moses and Moses to Joshua in Deuteronomy 31, verses 6, 7, and 8. And it is in the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 13, that the author instructs us, says, make sure your character is free from the love of money, being content with whatever you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The writer of Hebrews echoes the words of Psalm 118.6, in which the confident confession of the one who was in Christ, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The fact is that in Christ we have perfect security, perfect protection, and perfect peace. In Matthew Henry's commentary, he notes that Joshua must arise, must, must arise to finish what Moses began. Thus the latter generations enter into the labors of the former. And thus Christ, our Joshua, does that for us, which, we, which could never be done by the law of Moses. Specifically, uh, justification, which is in Acts 13.39, and sanctification in Romans 8.3. The life of Moses made way for Joshua and prepared the people for what was to be done by him. Thus, the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. As we continue in Joshua, we see that after God's commission uh, in verses 1 and 2, it's kind of broken up into three parts. So you have God's commission in 1 and 2. We see God's promises in verses 3 through 6. And then we come to God speaking about his word in verses 7 through 9. So in verse, uh, verse uh, 7, it says, Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do all to the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. So here, God's word enters the picture. This is referring to the first five books of, of today's Bible, also known as the Pentateuch. God reminds Joshua, again, to be strong and now very courageous, if, if to get his point across. And then he warns Joshua to be careful with the law. He commands Joshua to follow the law and, and not any kind of other teaching or false teaching of other people who worshipped other gods in the land of in the land of Canaan, in the region. Don't turn to it, Joshua. God is commanding him. But to follow the law, God's law. And that will lead him to success in the promised land. In verse 8, we see, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you should uh, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. So God commands Joshua to share the book of the law through speaking, through sharing, um, through declaring the truth found in the word. 
When preparing my sermon this week, I recalled that two of your core values are inspired by biblical truth and gospel sharing. So just like Joshua was commanded by God regarding the book of the law, we are inspired by the truth found only in the word. Joshua possessed the law of God as revealed in Genesis through Deuteronomy. Today, we have all of God's word revealed in the Old and the New Testaments. Those who study and obey God's word will also succeed in God's mission. Only then will we know what God's will is. And as we share the gospel, uh, we should pray that it should not depart from our mouths. We, like Joshua, should meditate, we, uh, read, study, pray over the scriptures day and night, and then share what we learn with others. And that, that may even be complete strangers. We, like Joshua, need to be careful and rightly handle the word of God. And I think it's hugely important to pause here at the end of verse 8. I think in today's world, the command found in this passage of Scripture is used and twisted and amplified in the so-called prosperity gospel movement. For then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you will have success, in verse 8. The prosperity gospel teaches and places the emphasis on temporal, worldly prosperity rather than the eternal, spiritual wealth. I agree with pastors that denounce the prosperity gospel movement. Uh, there, uh, Pastor David Platt recently preached on this passage of scripture, and he prayed this at the end of his sermon. He said, so God, help us do this. Help us heed your, let's heed your exhortation to Joshua in each of our lives today. Help us hear the book of the law. Help us hear your word, to soak it in, to understand it, to reflect on it, to apply to our lives, to pray it, to hide it in our hearts, to speak about it in public, and trust that when we do, our success will be prosperous. We want good success. We want success that is good according to your word, not according to this world. We want, prosperity among, uh, uh, we want prosperity according to your ways, God, not according to this world. So we need your word to lead us. So it's important if you hear false teachers proclaiming Joshua 1.8 as the avenue and vessel to financial success, that you remember that they are placing the emphasis on temporal and worldly prosperity, rather than the eternal spiritual wealth. As we see in Psalm 1, verses 2 and 3, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted in streams of water, which yields its fruit and, its, and in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. So I believe that we will be prosperous and successful when we allow the Holy Spirit to produce and ripen the fruit in our lives for God's kingdom. As Paul instructs us in Galatians in the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So these are byproducts of Jesus Christ living in our hearts through us, and only, it's only Jesus Christ that can produce and ripen that fruit in our life. Then we go back to Joshua. We come to verse 9, which I believe is the climax of the passage we are learning from today. Very well-known verse. God says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen. Again, God commands and reminds Joshua yet again to be strong and courageous. The time is now, Joshua. 
God the Father is instructing his child, and now leader of God's people, that the time is now to be resolute, to be tough, to be fearless, gutsy, tenacious. God adds to not tremble, to be steady and still and trust in his God, and not to be dismayed no matter how much chaos or uncertainty is certainly coming your way with the task of leading two million Israelites and defeating a land filled with enemies. God then provides the ultimate promise, for I am with you, Joshua, who was the son of Nun, who was Moses' servant, and who is now God's servant wherever he goes. Just like God was with Joshua, God is with us. Matthew one twenty three. Behold, the virgin shall be with a with child and bear a son, and they shall call him they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which translated means God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. God is with us, church. Christ is with us. The Holy Spirit is living in us as believers. We can trust in God's faithfulness as we live each day. And this passage today is a promise to you as well. In this transition for your church and my home church, uh, that the next two pastors who will be called to serve, we can rest in this promise. We can trust in God's faithfulness to provide. He will. So what are the results of trusting God? Obviously, the, last, the list is lengthy, but here are four that, that rise to the top. Like Joshua, we can have peace. In Isaiah chapter 26, it says, The steadfast of mine you will keep in perfect peace, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in God, the Lord, we have an everlasting rock. We can have perfect peace even in turmoil. We cannot be shaken by chaos. The peace of God can rule in our hearts. The world will try to provide its own peace, its own version of peace, which I think can be defined as the absence of conflict. But this perfect peace is only found in Christ Jesus. John 14, 27, Christ says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Do not be, do not, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Second, we can have freedom from fear. In Psalm 27, a psalm of David, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Like David, fear can imprison us. It can even make us immobile. Uh, sometimes it can even take over our lives. But we can conquer fear using the liberating light of the Lord who brings salvation through Christ. Third, we can have strength. If you go back to Isaiah, uh, this time in chapter 30, it says, For thus the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, In repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. We can be peacefully confident that he will give us strength to face our difficulties, our, the chaos of the day, the chaos of the week, the, uh, the things that will come at us. Like Joshua, God desires us to be strong and courageous. We are to trust God to give us strength each day. Fourth, we can have security. In Isaiah 28, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. The prophet Isaiah was looking forward to a cornerstone, a savior, the Messiah, 
Jesus Christ. Christ alone is the foundation on whom we should build our lives. So let me ask your church, is your, is your life built on something else? Is your life built on your, your reputation? Is it built on the power you try to accumulate? Is it built on the fame you seek, uh, the money in your bank account, or the endless things in, in God's little g of this world? If it is, each one of those things will one day crumble, they will, they will fall, they'll be destroyed, and they'll blow away. But Christ is our cornerstone a costly cornerstone who died on the cross for you and me, who sits at the right hand of God the Father. And Christ one day will return to reign on earth. And we have been given this gift in order to be saved from our sins and our inequities and eventually eternal separation from God. So do you have Jesus in your life, in your heart, as your Savior, as your cornerstone? Have you asked him to be your Savior? Today, February 9th, would be a great day to finally surrender to him. If you're ready to do that, um, I'd love to talk to you. I know one of the elders can, or another believer here at church that you know, or maybe you don't, maybe you don't even know. I know they would love, and I would love to, to talk and pray with you. In closing today and preparing my sermon this week, I felt led by the Lord to teach and preach on Joshua. Joshua's key to success was his submission to God. This passage is instructive to you as well as you continue to be inspired by biblical truth, and you continue to share the gospel and continue to trust God in your search for your next pastor here at Southern Hills E3. You can absolutely trust in God's faithfulness in this time of transition. And Hillsview up north can absolutely trust in God's faithfulness in our time of transition for our next associate pastor too. As I was uh, writing the sermon, I, I, re I read and reread, like I said, Mark and DJ's letter, and they noted... Uh, they said, we believe Southern Hills E-Free is a strong, healthy church with great leaders, and God has good plans for you. The church is the bride of Christ, and he will take care of his bride. What a wonderful and touching way to say goodbye to a church they deeply loved and served. In my devotional time earlier this week, I read, I, I read Psalm 117, and that's our closing verse today which I would like to end with today, and, and I'd like to make this my prayer and encouragement to you as we leave here today. It's two verses. It says, Praise the Lord, all nations, laud him, all peoples, for his loving kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this day. We thank you for your, the, the blessings you pour out upon us, um, the, that we can just rest and we can trust knowing that, um, that you know each one of us and you know the plans you have for each one of us. And uh, Lord, I just pray over this church today. Um, it's a wonderful church. And uh, I just thank you for uh, your the way you can give us peace, you can give us freedom from fear, uh, you can give us strength, and you can give us security. And we just pray, Heavenly Father, that we will continue to be faithful to you. And uh, Lord, just help us be a light to others as we leave here today. Uh, we love you, Lord. We thank you. Um, we lift all these things up to you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.